How does diet history affect a nutrition plan? Are liver panels important? What is neat, and is it more important than your purposeful active exercise? We discuss all this and much more on the upcoming podcast. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I'm your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I have on the team of Balanced Bodies, Vinny Russo and Dr. Aaron Stansfield. You can find them at balancedbodies.io. We're going to talk about what they do, a multi-pronged approach, I would call it, a holistic approach with Dr. Aaron's clinical side and Vinny's nutrition side and how they game plan to really help their clients and look at them as individuals. But really also today is about uh, talking about business models. So we go over their business model, we go over science, we go over uh, some some interesting nutrition terms and some misconceptions in the industry. It was a well-rounded, fantastic conversation. They have a podcast, which is also great. I would check it out. You can find everything about them again at balancedbodies.io. With no further ado, here is Dr. Aaron and Vinny. Dr. Aaron and Vinny, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Why don't you give my listeners and audience a little background as to who you are, your credentials, and what you guys do day-to-day in the health and wellness space. Awesome. We'll do Aaron, you want to go first? Ladies first? Sure. Um, all right. I am the physician for Balanced Bodies, and I am board certified in preventative and occupational medicine. Uh, I am also the chief of occupational and preventative medicine for the Air Force, Um, so, uh, balanced bodies was a passion project for me. Um, it's something I love to do because I'm able to spend time with my clients. Um, as far as residency goes, I did residency in various States, um, from Seattle to Boston. I was at Harvard. Um, my background includes, um, residencies in, um, you know, internship in general surgery and I did nuclear medicine imaging as well. So I have an imaging background and then ended here in Utah in preventative and occupational medicine. And um, I have been practicing medicine for almost 20 years now. And I love it. Yeah. Um, so I am uh, the co-owner of Balanced Bodies as the head nutrition coach um, and also the co-owner of and director of nutrition of uh, balanced bodies corporate wellness which is going to start in 2024 where you know we're going to provide a top tier service to corporations to help them improve the health and productivity of their employees um i have a master's in applied clinical nutrition a bunch of certifications just to name a few um precision nutrition nci nutrition dynamic nfpt uh dominate um i am a pro physique competitor as well um i do personal train although um, I, I kind of, I, I got away from that for a while, but you know, you, you want to be in the game. So, well, guys. obviously I'm going to have a lot of questions for both of you, given your, uh, credentials on the science end, the nutrition end, mm-hmm. the, and all, and the diet end specifically, but really, I think what's also intriguing is your business model. I think both from not only a general population standpoint, who wants like a more three pronged approach. And also from personal trainers, we always think about, well, how do we how do we integrate more things into our business? How do we get the nutrition component? How do we get all these sort of like, you know, overall health and wellness, not just personal training? And that's that's what you guys do. So walk me through your client experience. Day one, somebody signs up. What sort of information they're giving you? What kind of forms? How do you handle a client? What's the communication? Just walk me through it. All right. So um, I'll take the lead here. Um, and then Dr. Aaron, when I'm finished, she, she could explain what she does with like the medical consult side. Um, but basically, if, if you're a potential client, like we got to have a phone call first because we got to see if we're even a good fit together. Right. I want you to be very open minded and I need you to be willing to try some unconventional things. Um, if if you you know are coming to me, obviously, everything that you tried previously hasn't worked. So you need help. Right. So want to make sure that you understand that, that we're here to help. And, um, basically once we have our call, go over your goals, the challenges that you're facing, we see if we can actually add value. If we can, we'll offer you to a, a spot on our team. Um, you agree. We put you into the system. This starts the onboarding process. And this is where you give me all the information that I need to be able to create the plan based off of your preferences. Um, during this process, you're going to have a bunch of tutorials that are going to explain like different facets of your program. You have a bunch of resources to download just to make things a little bit easier. Um, and then our client experience coach, her name's Carrie Martinez. She works with us and she's going to reach out to you within the first 30 minutes of signing up. Be like, yo, like save my number. 
Um, <laughs> and then once you fill out all the information and submit your pictures, I can have your plan ready to go within 48 hours. Um, but this also sets off like an email se sequence for you where, you know, you get one video per day. It's like who Dr. Aaron is, who Carrie is as our client experience coach, how to check in and like what I expect of you and what you should expect of me. Um, once that happens, I give you a few buffer days, you know, to, to go food shopping, iron out all the wrinkles, ask me any questions, and then we get started. And once we get started, there's like constant communication. And this is part of the field that I feel like our company is so different, right? So you have weekly check-ins, which is pretty normal, right? I do video feedbacks. I don't do like emails or, or voice messages. I do video feedbacks, uh, but you have daily communication with me as your nutrition coach, but you also have it with a board certified physician. Um, and I don't know any company or any doctor really that allows text message access on a daily basis with a same hour response, right? So that's really what separates us. That's our, our differentiation factor, so to speak. Um, so you have all of that going. Our CEC will also reach out to you constantly. Um, she does random drop in text messages to you just to make sure that you're feeling okay. And if you need anything from me or from Dr. Aaron, um, she also does like a tip of the week. We have a Facebook group where we have like five touch points out of seven days of the week there. So all in all, you're, you're really just being constantly supported and, and being held accountable. Um, but in terms of like protocols and how I would work with that, it, it all depends on like your diet history. It depends on your current eat, eating habits uh, because we may want to feed you up we may really just want to establish a maintenance before we go into a deficit, or you might just be primed and ready to go into the dieting phase. Um, but the, the main goal here with, with us is to really provide a health first body transformation, right? So we want to make sure that we prioritize your health, make sure all blood markers are, are on point um, and that you're feeling really good. And then we can lean you out. And then the end goal is really to work up your metabolism through a metabolic capacity phase where we keep you at the same body composition that, that you got to leaning out, but we just increase the amount of calories you could handle per day. Um, so sorry for that long-winded answer, but Erin, if you want to go into a little bit with the medical consults. Yeah. So I mentioned at the very beginning in my intro that this is um, a quote unquote passion project for me. And the reason I say that is because in clinical practice um, in medicine, typically we aren't, we don't have the luxury to spend the time that we want to with our patients often because it's driven by how many people we see and um, our schedules are hectic. And so um, the, the beauty of balanced bodies and the reason I wanted to do this and felt very strongly about it is because my training is in prevention. So uh, preventing any chronic diseases. So um, with our company, I am able to spend um, the time that is needed and required by each and one of our clients. I call them patients, each one of my patients, and I get to know them on a very individual <laughs> basis. Um, they have full access to me, as Vinny mentioned, um, but basically, you know, once they are onboarded, they get um, medical questionnaires, just as you would at a doctor's office. Um, it is a complete medical history. And then um, I do a televisit with them, essentially. And that's where um, I'm able to spend the amount of time, which could be even up to an hour sometimes, um, depending on um, how complicated uh, the patient is and um, how much they want to tell me or how in depth they want to go into their medical history. But I'm able to spend the time that they need in order to uh, feel like they have been heard and I'm able to address any concerns on that initial visit. And then um, the other thing we do is uh, we go through their goals and um, you know, I take into consideration their short-term goals, but I'm also looking at their longevity, right? Um, again, I am board certified in preventative medicine, so I'm looking ahead of time to see if we can prevent any chronic diseases that might um, come up during their lifetime and how to best prepare for that. So this isn't just about, you know, looking good and feeling good. It's about um, longevity as well and um, being being able to address those concerns as well. Um, and then I usually speak with them at least once per month, um, if not more often, if they need me. Um, like I said, uh, they do have access to me. Um, even if they go to their own physicians and they have questions, I am happy to work with their um, physicians that they already have in place um, as a team. Uh, you know, I, I look at it as, 
a team sport, right? Um, that we're all communicating and we're all on the same page for our patient or a client. Yeah. My, uh, my wife's a physician and typically what happens is somebody comes into the office and they have six issues. They go, well, my ankle hurts, but also I've been having diarrhea. And then I might have like something on the back of my leg that looks weird. Oh, and by the way, I'm also dealing with depression, right? And a doctor has 15 minutes. And that's really what happens in the nutrition and health world, right? Nobody just comes in with one issue. They're not like, oh, hey, everything's perfect, except, you know, I just need to make my biceps bigger. No, they come in with five or six or seven things. They come in with a health history, which we're going to talk about after this and a diet history. So it's complicated and you need time. And then in addition to that, people need the confidence to make the right decisions. If, if let's say I'm out to eat and I look over the menu and I'm between two things, if I can text Vinny and say, hey, should I eat this or should I eat this? You know, that's that takes a lot off my shoulders knowing that I have, you know, somebody who's there to be able to say, oh, actually, don't worry about either of them. They're both fine. Or, hey, I would stick with this given our diet plan and give them a little bit of guidance. Exactly. Yeah, that happens a lot. It, it really does, especially now uh, during this holiday season, because there's a lot of holiday events and I'm getting messages like, hey, look, this is the menu. This is a prefix menu. Which one should I choose? And I'm just like, well, let, let me know which one you would choose. And they would tell me and I'll say, all right, that's probably what I would choose. Or if they're not, then I'd be like, well, listen, here's why I would choose this other one instead of what you chose. Yeah, it's an educational experience. It's not just getting the answer. Then, then they ask why, or you tell them why, and now they understand. So now next time when they're in that position, they don't have to message you because they understand the concept. Exactly. exactly. So let's talk about diet history. Uh, now that we went over that, what exactly do you consider diet history and why does it matter? So to give you an example, if there's two people, if there's Steve and what looks to be Steve's twin, and you know we have the same metrics, we both weigh 180 pounds, we're both 38 years old, uh, but we've maybe, uh, had a completely different diet history insofar as like maybe one of us at some point weighed a lot more and maybe at one point, one of us was way more muscular. What, why do these things matter? And how do you sort of go through the diet history to make a, a proper plan for an individual? Yeah. So, so with the dieting history, I mean, it's, it's basically all your previous eating habits, right. And any diets that you tried in the past. And, um, the main thing is, is like, what have you currently been eating for like the last, let's just say two or three months. Right. Um, and this matters because if there's a lot of over restriction with, um, how many times you've been dieting, if there's a lot of yo-yo dieting going on in your life, then going into this, we have to understand that we're probably dealing with some form of metabolic suppression. Um, so what this would do is it would require a longer feeding phase initially, because you need to have, like, if you want to lean out, you need to have water in your cup to pour from like meaning you need calories to actually be able to pull from you can't pour from an empty cup so if you have no calories to really pull from it's hard to go down into a deficit and lose body fat so we got to make sure we feed you up and a lot of that's through the metabolic suppression um but what you mentioned about the body metrics like if you had you and like your twin um this is kind of where like it, it really like grinds my gears a little bit with um with some coaches that are out there that are like, Hey, give me your anthropometric data and your approximate activity level. And I'm going to tell you exactly what you need in terms of calories and macros. And to be honest with you, that's, that's all a bunch of bullshit <laughs> uh, because we're not static, we're dynamic. And what you've been eating over the past two or three months is more of a maintenance than what some macro calculator is going to tell you. So the metrics, yeah, you take them into consideration, but they're not the end all be all because let's just say, for example, um, Steve's twin was eating 1500 calories, but the macro calculation says you should be eating 2300 out of maintenance. Well, you're not going to jump right up to 2300. You're going to store fat because your body is acclimated to the 1500 calories. Yeah. So, um, with, with someone with the same goals and the same biometrics, um, it's, they're, they're most likely going to need something a little bit different because of the, the previous history. Interesting. Um, let's go into lab work a little bit here. Uh, Dr. Aaron, what are you looking at specifically? Let's just say with a weight loss client, somebody who's coming in, they're overweight. Uh, their main goal, obviously they might have secondary goals is, is just to lose weight. What are the labs that you think are the most important? And you could also speak to labs that you believe uh, physicians don't take, but maybe should take that are important. All right. So, you know, <laughs> each client is different, um, which makes our model um, very individualized, right? Um, but I will say in general, um, there are uh, typical labs that I would get and they would be similar to 
you know, going into your primary care doctor and getting a um, annual physical, right? A lot of our clients actually haven't had physicals in a very long time. I would say it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, some people do get regular physicals and others, um, others don't. Um, but in general, I would get um, things that go along with the medical guidelines. So a complete blood count, a complete um, metabolic panel, a lipid panel, a liver panel, um, a thyroid panel in general, because they are looking at losing weight, want to make sure their thyroid numbers look okay. And then typically, um, I like to get hemoglobin A1C just to make sure they're not in a um, pre-diabetic or diabetic range. Um, and, and sometimes our clients have had these labs done. And if they have recently, then, you know, I'll take that information into into um, their their chart and take that into consideration. Um, but I need um, some metrics in order to measure their progress as well. In particular, you know, if they're looking at losing weight and um, I'm looking at cardiovascular risk, for example, I'm looking at their LDL numbers and making sure that, um, you know, with any lifestyle slash diet exercise um, changes that we're making that they're actually um, affecting their, their LDL numbers or having some impact there or even their hemoglobin A1C. Um, but, you know, occasionally we do get people who are um, perimenopausal, for example, and we might add in different um, panels depending on their symptoms, right? If they're perimenopausal and symptomatic and they're very curious, um, you know, I will tell them they can get a hormone panel. It's not always medically necessary, but um, if they are symptomatic and, and they are of age, then, then we look into that and, and we evaluate that together. Um, I work closely if they have an OBGYN, for example, or an endocrinologist, uh, we work with them as well to make sure that we're giving them the right advice. Um, but usually I don't like to order labs unless they are clinically indicated. Um, I am a big proponent of um, not ordering things that we're not going to do something with the information. And, and thus, you know, we do follow the medical guidelines. Um, and further, um, I don't like using labs that aren't um, certified um, by CLIA or um, some kind of governing, usually a federal government agency. Um, to verify their 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 cutoff values, um, you know, a lot of people have heard of Dutch testing, for example. Um, I feel like, especially in the the weight loss industry, um, you know, people are interested in that, um, but that's not something that uh, I'm a big proponent of. Um, one, because it's urine. Two, it's not, um, you know, it's not a certified lab, essentially. So um, we try to use things that um, they're is evidence behind. I think another thing that came to mind when speaking about these labs uh, and any any results they have is also the medications that people are on and why it's such an advantage to have someone like you on staff because all these medications have side effects and all these side effects affect goals potentially, right? So it could be a, a side effect like someone has joint pain from some medicine that they're on, Lipitor or something, right? And then that's going to affect their workout. And then if it affects their workout, then Vinny might have to, you know, adjust their nutrition because they're not working out to the same extent. So I think it's good, you know, to have that, as you say, balanced approach and, and be able to understand all the intricacies because the average personal trainer just can't, right? There's, there's too much going on there for, for someone to be able to look into, let's say, every single side effect a medication has and, and how it acts inside the body mechanistically. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's another thing is, you know, a lot of people are taking supplements. Um, any Anything that you put into your body could be considered a drug. And um, we often think that if um, a supplement is over the counter or quote unquote natural, that it might not have an effect. Um, and it may, um, depending on the medications you are on and also any pre-existing medical issues that you might have. And so somebody to look those over and, um, you know, go over that with the client slash patient, um, I think is very important. Um, because, you know, years ago, for example, St. John's wort was taken by people, um, and there were a lot of um, mm -hmm. coagulation issues with that, um, depending on what other medications they were taking, bleeding mm -hmm. issues, etc. So um, it's something that 
that you need to be wary of, you know, just because you can get it at the grocery store doesn't mean that it's necessarily safe. I guess that's maybe a question for Vinny, but obviously Dr. Arden, you can step in too, but does, you know, do you see any biomarkers or does Dr. Aaron pass along any biomarkers that would change diet suggestions? Yeah. So if we see like a lipid panel, that's a little bit off where uh, we need to adjust those numbers. We, we would like to go mainly, or I would like to kind of tailor it more towards like a Mediterranean type diet um, to really help in that aspect. Um, she's really big in like tell our clients or patients about, you know, cardiovascular risk. Um, so she's honing in on that. And anytime like there's any type of red flag, you know, she's going to tell me right away, like, Hey, this used to be like, you got to do something about this. So we work together. And like, once I create that plan, for example, like the lipid pan, um, I'll send it to her. I'll be like, Hey, this is what I'm sending them. And she'll take note of it. She has a whole bunch of notes. So she makes the, she takes notes of the adjustments that were made. And then we monitor, uh, what goes on, but that was an example. Or like if they have something where the A1 C's, um, on the higher side, then obviously we'll go um, a little bit less on the carbohydrate aspect, focus on more vegetables um, and, and more complex carbohydrates and, and fewer meals. Uh, but there's little strategies that, that I use, but it is based off of like, hey, Vin, this is what we got to watch out for. And it's like, all right, here's what the adjustments I'm making to the plan. I yeah, I think it's important also because you guys, as stated before, are really concerned with long-term health, not just yep. short-term health. So another thing is, is taking the whole clinical picture in, in mind. I think a lot of, um, you know, if, if you're out in the industry, especially in the nutrition industry, I do see a lot of people offering labs and, um, I feel like there's no magic lab number, right? It's, it's the entire clinical picture. Um, we're looking at a patient who has a medical history and it's not just about their lab numbers. That is one piece of the clinical picture, but it is not the entire picture. And so um, having, you know, Vinny and I work together, we see the entire picture um, because he's able to take into account what their nutrition is. And I'm able to look at not only just their labs, but also um, their medical history, their medical issues, their um you know, their struggles that they've had medically, um, in order to be more efficient in family history um, too. Blessing those. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people, uh, guys, clients of mine who have like testosterone at, at 250 or 300 and they feel great. And then other others that feel have it at 700 and they feel terrible. And maybe it's yeah. a receptor thing. Maybe it's all the other things going on, but it, you can't just look at a snapshot and assume exactly. that someone feels good and doesn't have an issue. Exactly. What about uh, liver enzymes, liver panels? I don't know much about them. Um, I take them myself personally, but I don't look at my clients. Are they important or do, do they change uh, program based upon results? Yeah, so um, it depends on the particular patient, but um, what we're seeing more and more with the obesity rates climbing, especially in the United States, is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right? And that can affect one liver mm. and, and can cause cirrhosis long-term um, if, if it is um, not addressed at some point. Um, and also the other thing we see is um, people having... Um, issues with alcohol intake, right? It is the second leading cause of cirrhosis after hepatitis. So um, there are, you know, these are two common things that happen in the general population and um, something to be aware of. Now, is it used as a screening test? Not typically, um, but we typically get them on our clients because we do have a subset of clients that are coming to us because they want to lose weight. And so they might be at risk um, for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, for example. Um, and that needs to be addressed and treated appropriately. And it, obviously if it's, you know, if their liver numbers are high, then we get them off to a specialist. There are a lot of acronyms in the fitness and health industry. Most personal trainers and even maybe most general population now kind of knows what BMR is. But as far as EAT and NEAT and TEF, I don't think they understand exactly what that is. Can you kind of walk us through that, Vinny? And then uh, is this all we need once we know these things? Is that is that the key to weight loss? <laughs> well, the BMR, your basal metabolic rate, a lot of people know who that is, especially your 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 um, viewers watching your podcast or listening to your podcast. Uh, but NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And this is really like unintentional movement that you do throughout the day. 
um, TEF is the thermic effect of food. So how much energy does it take to break down that specific food item? Uh, and we could go through the macros there. Um, and then EAT, E-A-T is exercise activity thermogenesis. And that's really just intentional movement or intentional exercise and how many calories you burn. Um, when you look at it, you want to you wanna use what we know about them to our advantage. So for example, the most profound effect on caloric expenditure comes from BMR, right? BMR, it's hard to really manipulate that um, unless, you know, you're going into suppression or a surplus, which over time can, can, can change it, but it's going to be within a range. It's not going to be a significant change. So then you go to the next one, right? So if we're doing hierarchy, it's like the BMR has the most profound effect. Then it's going to be NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And then it's actually thermic effect of food and then comes exercise. So what you want to do is you want to focus on the areas that will have the most impact on your caloric expenditure if you're looking to to lose weight. So for example, if you were looking at um, the thermic effect of food, well, we want to stick with a higher protein, right? So you're going to check that off. If we're looking at NEAT, um, you want to keep your body moving. So maybe, you know, you'll notice like as you as you lean out and as you go into a deficit, um, your body will start to move a little bit less because you're feeling it less. Um, and, and so you'll notice like sometimes you're fidgeting. If you see me now, like my legs are shaking this entire time. Right. But if I'm in a deficit and I'm in competition prep, I'm not doing that, man. I'm, I'm just chilling. I'm probably falling asleep. So, um, you want to make a conscious movement of that, right. A conscious effort to be like, Hey, um, let me just get a little bit more moving around. Um, and now, now it becomes intentional. Uh, but that will have a huge effect on basically your success with, um, with the dieting phase, uh, when it comes to exercise, um, I would say you need to put forth a, an intentional effort with good intensity here, but you don't want to use exercise as your like go-to for, for burning calories because it's really not that efficient at all. Um, so like when looking at it, does one matter more than the other? I would say it does in terms of like looking at the hierarchy. So we can't really adjust BMR, but we could adjust NEAT. So let's really focus on adjusting NEAT because it's going to have a bigger effect than adjusting exercise, so to speak. Yeah, it's really interesting. I have a, a bunch of questions that come from that. The, f the first one is personal trainers are taught that BMR is like 11 times your body weight in calories. So if you're 200 pounds, it's 2,200 calories. Is, is that right? Or is it just, it's, that's not it? It's, it's, it's a roundabout. It's the same like with any other equation. You could go on the Harris-Benedict equation. Uh, what is it? The Miffin St. George. Um, but yeah, I've heard that. I've heard if you want to go into a surplus, times it by 13. If you want to go into a deficit, times it by 10. And it's like... I, it's different because it's like, what are you eating? Like, what have you been eating? Because that's going to adjust, you know, your, your maintenance level. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, a good way to get a BMR, I mean, going to get um, a DEXA scan and then getting your BMR rating at a, at a clinic like that, that, that'd be a good idea to do. I'm going to answer for you and you tell me if this answer is right or and how you would change it. The reason why you can't replace uh, neat with more eats is because, uh, probably you're going to end up pushing it too much on one end of the scale. You're going to, you're going to burn too many calories. Maybe it's harder to keep on muscle. The reason why neat is so important is because of the fact that you're, you're burning these calories, but not doing it, uh, where you're putting yourself into too much of a deficit. Yeah, I, I would say you're pretty spot on there. I mean, when you look at NEAT, like it's a low barrier entry into, you know, being able to increase caloric expenditure because it's not really taking that much from you. It's not like it's not like if you're doing a hit session for 15 minutes, you're going to be completely dead after if you do it the right way compared to if you increase your NEAT over a, a day period. Let's just say you increase your steps from, you know, going from 8,000 to 11,000. That's a significant amount. You're going to see results from that, but it's not going to be as hard to do. And you're not going to be like, oh man, like I don't want to go for a 10 minute walk compared to, I don't want to do these 15 minutes, these 15 rounds of, of hit. Um, so I think you have a, a very valid point there. Um, but you know, I, I think neat overall, um, I just, I just think that because it's so unintentional where exercise is, um, I just think that there's so much emphasis put on the exercise aspect with like, all right, well, I ate crazy on Thanksgiving. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to do an, a crazy amount of cardio. You're not, you're, why are you going to punish yourself doing that? Like it's, you could have made mindful decisions, but you're going to use exercise thinking it's going to burn so much. It's like these fitness trackers, like 
it doesn't, it's not accurate. Like stop looking at it, like use it as a inconsistent, use it as a consistent error, right? And, and just a gauge. Don't put so much emphasis on trying to use exercise to burn calories. When you do exercise, like if you're doing cardio, do it for your cardiovascular health. If you're doing weight training, do it to build muscle. Don't do it going in there like I need to burn calories. No, don't do it. Use your diet to, to, to burn the calories. Use your non-exercise activity thermogenesis to help you burn the calories. I wonder if you guys have this too. Whenever I have clients who come back from vacation, they always tell me they lost weight. And they're so surprised because they, they didn't work out. They're like, I was on vacation for seven days. I lost weight. Uh, being like weight loss is their goal. And they're like, I can't yeah. believe it, right? I was eating whatever I wanted, whatever. And you ask them what they did. And basically like all they did the whole vacation is move, right? Yeah. So as opposed to like, maybe they're an accountant and they sit at a desk all day. It's like, what would you do on vacation? It's like, oh, well, first I went on a tour of, yeah. you know, the Acropolis. And then I walked up this mountain and then I went here and then we went to this restaurant and then we went to this downtown. I'm like, yeah, you walked for seven straight days. Like, that's why you <laughs> lost weight. Like you, you're usually sitting down at a desk, but they just, they don't attribute that. They're like, yeah, but I didn't work out. I'm like, well, yeah. you were, you, you did in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And reducing stress too. But when we went to Italy, it was like, I ate and drank wine uh, almost every day, like whatever I'm in Italy, I'm going to do it. And I came back lighter. Now I didn't work out either. So maybe there was like a little bit of glycogen gone, maybe a little bit sure. of loss of muscle, maybe because it was 14 days, uh, nothing significant, but like you expect it, what you ate and what you drank should have amounted to a surplus. Uh, but we walked everywhere. So, and that, and that was the key. It was just moving. Like you look at these blue zones, right? These blue zones are filled with people who just walk everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's huge in terms of, uh, in terms of overall health and sustainability with, with attaining results through a dieting phase. Yeah. Not to mention, I think Dr. Arm was just sitting on it, sort of the, the, the mental health aspect and just being out in the sun, which most people aren't on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, let's go over some fun, repeated things that clients say in the industry all the time. Uh, I'm going to pretend that I'm one of your clients uh, because I'm sure this happens to you on a day-to-day -day basis. And I just uh, opened up TikTok. And now I, uh, n n of course, whatever they say on TikTok is true. And oh, I come yeah. to you guys and I say, well, Vinny, you have me doing cardio. I thought cardio was bad. How do you respond to that? Uh, I'm going to say, well, can you explain why cardio is bad? Because they said it on TikTok. Yours. Oh, okay. Well, did they explain it to you? Uh, they, they, they said because you can't build any muscle if you do cardio. Okay. Well, um, once again, cardio, you're not going to burn crazy amounts of, um, calories. Number one, number two, unless you're doing marathons and stuff like that. Um, but I'm going to say cardio is not bad. Cardio is actually really, really beneficial for cardiovascular reasons. Now an extensive amount is going to sooner or later be bad for you. Yes. Um, because you're going to adapt to it. And the only way to respond is to do more and more and more than you, then you're one of those people, those ex bikini competitors that come to us and is like, Hey, I'm doing two hours of cardio and can't lose weight. And I'm like, well, yeah, we're going to take that down. Right. Um, there shouldn't be so much emphasis put on, you know, cardio uh, to, to, to lose body fat. And, and, um, I think it's just a tool and it's not a necessity but it's not bad for you. Uh, like I said, it has amazing cardiovascular benefits. And, and I think Aaron might be able to touch a little bit more on that as well. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Right. Um, it does help with heart health. Um, something that we don't often can see visually, right. When we look in the mirror, except for, um, potentially if there's some weight loss with that. Um, but I think the, the do dose is the poison, right? So too much is too bad. You have to have a balance, you know, um, you do have to get some cardio in, but you don't want to go to the extreme either. Um, your body does get accustomed to, yeah. you know, running long distances. And so it's good to switch it up. And, um, I think from a mentality perspective, it's, it's, uh, you know, for some people it's a stress reliever. I started running in medical school because it relieved a lot of stress. Um, so there are multiple, um, facets of benefits, not only just for cardiovascular, cardiovascular health, but also for, um, mental being. Someone who, who absolutely loves car, like Dr. Aaron loves cardio yeah. and I don't. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're two completely ends of the spectrum here. And she's telling you like too much is, is not good. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll add a third component here that wasn't mentioned. There's like a cognitive benefit too for everyone's different. But, um, if I lift as opposed to just do cardio, I feel more cognitively firing when I do cardio. So for me, cardio is just kickboxing. But when I kickbox, when I'm done with it, I feel like my mind is sharper for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know exactly the mechanistic reason why, 
but there is could could be dopamine, could be some 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 other thing. But uh, I do feel like my mind is is sharper. Yeah. And I, but I will say like, if, if someone says, Hey, cardio is bad, I would want to know their explanation. And then I would give them the exact answer that I just gave you. Um, and if they feel good doing it too, like we have clients who absolutely love cardio and I'm like, you're doing a little bit too much, but it's their, it's their love. It's what they want to do. We're going to keep it in. We'll make it work. Uh, girls have to lift heavy. That's what I read on TikTok. Is that true? Aaron, go, go get <laughs> I, after I this one. I love this question. Um, mostly cause I'm a female. Um, I, you know, I really hate that they, um, there's a sex distinction. I think everyone should lift heavy, right. Or as much as you can, as much as your capacity allows, if you, you are injury free. Um, I think from a medical perspective, resistance training is so very important. Um, it helps in longevity, um, in both sexes, not only in females, but in males as well. In fact, um, one of the tests um, that geriatricians do um, as you age is um, the chair test, right? So they have you sit in a chair um, when you're older and they have you get out, up, out of the chair, which is basically half squat. And if you cannot do that, that actually correlates with a higher mortality risk. Um, so people who do are stronger and who resistance train are able to handle activities like this, especially as they age. Um, and it becomes very important. Um, one of the biggest um, risks for mortality are hip fractures and falls. And so if we can avoid that by being stronger, then, you know, why not do that? Um, why not do that in your youth and continue doing that? Um, as you age. Um, I think it's very, very important. Um, I, you know, thank goodness had um, a trainer early on who told me that it didn't matter um, if I was a female, um, that I needed to lift to my full capacity. And, and that's what I did. And that's how I trained um, ever since. I think it's very important. And, and to take just a, a like a little avenue off of that. So when you go into the, when you're lifting weights, it should be to get stronger. It should be to build muscle, right? So if you're going in there using lightweight and you're not getting anywhere near failure, you're wasting your time. Like, yeah, it's a little bit of movement, but so what, right? Like you're, you're not going to, you're not going to benefit from it. So the whole point is to add enough stimulus to be able to cause the response in your body to either grow and, or get stronger. Cause that's the whole point of you lifting weights. Totally. And just, you know, just to add to those points for anyone who, you know, might be confused, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Aaron used the term capacity. Vinny used the term, you know, you know, lifting towards failure doesn't mean you have to go into the gym and do sets of two and three, right? So if Vinny normally chest presses 80 pound dumbbells, but he feels like grabbing fifties and doing double the amount of reps and slowing down the negative repetition, the eccentric and really wearing his muscles out through time under tension, he could still do the right things to become stronger, right? You don't always have to do low reps, but you do need to challenge your muscles so that you wear them out so that they grow back stronger. Yeah, that's a perfect example because when people go away on vacations or they're staying at a hotel, you may have a hotel gym, but they have like light dumbbells. They're not going to go up to hundreds or whatever, right? They might go up to maximum fifties. And if you're a man who, who trains a lot, you could still get a hell of a workout with that as long as you bring that rep range too close to failure to failure, right? And like you said, you can add techniques in there, drop sets, rest pause sets. You could do um, slow eccentrics or, you know, four seconds down, four seconds up, like really, really slow, concentrated reps um, and still get there. So yeah, I think that was a great point. One gram of protein per pound of body weight. That apparently is uh, the key number for everybody. Uh, I read it on TikTok. Tell me why I'm, that's right or wrong. I would, I would say um, you're, you're wrong there. Um, I, it's funny because um, last month, I, I like going into TikTok and going onto the lives for the people that are like, give me your body statistics and I'll give you your calories. Um, and this guy, uh, he, he had one person say, Hey, like I'm a 300 pound male. I have this, that, uh, and he was like, yeah, you're going to have 300 grams of protein. You're going to do. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I'm like, this guy seems to be a little bit, uh, on the obese side. Um, you're going to give him 300 grams of protein. You don't even know how much he was eating previously. So why is he going to jump right up to 300 grams of protein? Like you shouldn't, like, it's not based off of the one pound, uh, uh per weight, like per gram. It shouldn't be that because if you have someone who is 180 pounds, 
and they normally are eating, let's just say 100 and 100 grams of protein per day. You're not going to bump them up to 180. There's going to be a lot of digestion issues. There's going to be a lot of GI distress there um, to try to break down that the body's not used to it. Um, so you could work them up over time to, to get to there, but if they're not eating that amount, there's no way like to do that. And to be honest with you, I eat more um, protein than my one gram per pound. I'm 205 pounds. I eat about 230 grams of protein. I just like protein. Um, so I think that's just a number that is thrown out there. It's a, it's a rule of thumb for people who maybe are just starting off and it's a good way to get them to eat more protein, um, especially if they're on the heavier side. So, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it for, for it to be um, written in stone. Don't eat after 6 p.m. Either one of you can take this. This is an arbitrary number. <laughs> so I, I like to look at it as like, listen, if you're eating 2,000 calories before 10 p.m. or you're eating 2,000 calories before 7 p.m., it's 2,000 calories. Um, I like to eat right before I go to bed so I don't wake up hungry. It helps me sleep a little bit better. Some people get you know, issues eating right before bed. Um, some people really feel better stopping before six, whatever. Uh, it's, it's not a rule. It shouldn't be a rule. Um, it's an arbitrary number that someone threw out there to say you're less active. So you're going to store all of that. If you eat 2000 calories for the day, whether that's before 10 PM or 4 PM, you like literally it's, it's 2000 calories for the 24 hours. So Aaron, I don't know if you want to touch on that. Um, I think, uh, looking at sleep quality, you know, depending on if you don't have acid reflux or anything like that, Again, you know, clinical picture comes into to mind here. Um, but sometimes if you don't eat dinner or if you don't eat later, that can affect sleep quality, which actually can affect multiple factors. And um, one of them can be your efficiency and weight loss, right? Um, so uh, I, I think making rules, hard and fast rules like this, um, usually are, are terrible. Each, one, each person is different and you need to look at the whole picture. There's always the clients that just turned 40 or are over 40 and they go, hey, man, it's different now. You don't understand. I'm over 40. There's no way I can lose weight. How do you respond? I love this question. Aaron, go ahead. You're, uh, you're over 40. 40. Go get this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can speak um, personally and also um, I can speak to um, what I've seen um, in you know my clinical experience. Um, so, you know, a lot of people in particular females will complain about perimenopause or menopause and, um, there are hormone changes as we age, um, estrogen obviously falls, but I feel like a lot of people just are quick to blame their hormones for their, um, weight gain, for example. Um, but I think we need to ask ourselves is, um, how much does that actually contribute to weight gain? How much does that fall in estrogen um, contribute? And, you know, looking at studies, for example, in a 2005 Cochrane review, um, they found that these falls in estrogen um, really didn't affect a woman's weight. And I also find it interesting from an observational standpoint that um, women who experience early ovarian failure don't seem to have a different weight problem as compared to their age match controls. Um, in the Women's Health Initiative, they found that women may experience some body composition changes, um, but the weight gained was very, very modest. So it was maybe two to four pounds. I think the important part is um, to continue to be active and to resistance train. Again, um, for not only um, your body composition currently, but for longevity reasons, right? To, to continue to stay active um, for cardiovascular health and also for strength um, as you age. Uh, and I think, Blaming your age is a poor scapegoat um, for that. Yeah, I like to I like to go at it with like saying your priorities shift. So when you're in your 20s, you're in college, like your main priority is va vanity, right? You you're training to look good, you're and you could get away with stuff because you're extremely active and you're uh -huh. trying to be that way. When you get older, you start getting a family, you get a career. It's like those priorities shift, and you're spending less. Uh, mental energy, and you're spending less time actually focusing on your body composition than you did in your 20s. So it's not so much that you got older. I just feel like over time, your priorities shift. So like Dr. Aaron said, stay active, 
like keep it going. Like don't slow it down. And if you realize that you did slow it down, get it back up. My pro card in bikini competitions at 40. So, you know, it, it can be done. You can stay active and you can have that body composition that you desire. And that's a great point too, you know, Vinny, that you made before that saying, you know, are you really analyzing what your life has been like the last five years? Yeah, maybe you're, you know, 41 now and you think that's the reason, but really it's because you sit down all day long and you don't do much and you have a glass of wine every night and you're just blaming it on age. Yeah, maybe maybe you could also do that at 21 and recover faster. No one's denying that, but it's but but that means you need to work a little bit harder as you get older. Yeah. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means you need to be a little bit more conscious of what you eat and how you train. Hence the reason you hire professionals to help you out. Exactly. Um, what about people who are obsessed with the daily metrics? They're always looking at their steps, the 10K steps. They have really a tough time not stepping on the scale every morning, even though they know it's they shouldn't be doing that. How do you help clients get off of this path and 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 do you handle those metrics do you do you make sure that they don't do it as much do you cold turkey rip them from them how do you deal with people who are obsessed with these things i want you to weigh yourself every day and the reason why is like a lot of people that come to me are afraid of the scale so i want to bring it to their attention to their forefront and say look we're going to watch the fluctuations throughout the week so then you can just start to appreciate those fluctuations throughout the week i want you to track this all the time, because I want you to see how unique your body is. It's not linear. When we lose weight, it's going to fluctuate. But if it's going to fluctuate, it's going to go down over time, but just not in a linear fashion, right? And I want you to appreciate that, especially with women when they get their menstrual cycle. Well, if you're taking that data down, you could see how many days beforehand you will actually hold some weight and how long it takes for, for it to dissipate. So I love that initial stuff. So um, with people who are afraid, I make sure that they do it. If people like doing it, great, cool. We're going to have the data. But if we're getting away from that, right? Like for me, I it, it makes me feel very comfortable to track food, to tr look at my step count for the day, see if how active I was. Um, I'm less, I'm more lenient now, uh, thanks to Dr. Aaron, but, um, I would, I would say if someone's really doing that, we need to get to the point to where it becomes a habit that we're hitting that stuff all the time. So then you could spend less time worrying about whether you're doing it or not. So for example, with your scale weight, if you're like, I don't want to weigh myself every day, but I'm so obsessed over it. All right. Well, do you know what you're eating on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. Okay, cool. So do you think like if you stay consistent in an isocaloric diet that, that you're going to drop or, or gain significantly? No. Okay. So then weigh yourself, you know, once or twice per week if you want, or maybe you want to skip every other week. That's fine. And I guarantee you're going to be right around where you are if you're managing your diet. So I, I think, like I said, it's a catch 22 because you get the obsessiveness um, me personally, I can appreciate this obsessiveness. So I'm, I'm like looking at it from that, that perspective, uh, Dr. Aaron can touch on it from the other perspective, but I also think like in order for you to go off, it's like intuitive eating. You, you don't really intuitive eat. Like you can't just diet down on intuitive eating. Intuitive eating got you to where you are, but you got to know food awareness. You got to know how to structure a plan. You got to know this stuff first. And then you could go intuitively. Eat. It's the same thing with this. Like you got to know what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And then you could let the reins loose and then you could go off and not have to track everything so diligently because you're already doing it. For me personally, I'm a big um, proponent of balance. Um, you know, coming as a competitor myself, I feel like we've all gone through this obsessiveness of measuring everything out, counting how many steps did you get your workouts in? Did I, you know, how many reps did I get? What weight was it at? And you, you begin to obsess. And um, I, I feel like um, I am, have a natural inclination to obsess and, and some competitors do as well. And so my goal um, is more of that balance um, because I think that can affect your happiness over time, right? So I think it is good. Data is always good, especially at the beginning. But once you learn those foundational habits, then obsessing, um, becomes less of an issue where you can get a feel um, for that. Now, um, obviously, you don't want to go too far off. You, you want to be able to kind of hone that skill of getting that feel for where you're at. Um, but I, I think either extreme could be bad, right? Um, somewhere in the middle is good, but that takes um, 
a lot of practice and time. Yeah, I also think uh, it could take the enjoyment out of it. And ultimately, you want people to uh, enjoy their diet plan. You want them to enjoy their workouts. They shouldn't be getting done with their workout being like, I can't believe I wasted my time. I didn't get 225 for six today. It's like, no, you didn't yeah. waste your time. Like, it, it, it's not all about reaching these these metrics. Like, you worked out. It's healthy. You have to enjoy the the both the exercise and the and the eating component. It can't all be torturous because you'll quit. Yeah, and, and but that's that's also taking the client's preferences into account, right? Like being able to understand what they like, what they don't like, what they can handle their daily life. Like, what's their schedule like? Can't have you can't schedule someone to do like an hour workout if they only got a half an hour to get in in the morning before they got to get their kids ready for school. You know, so taking that into account is is key. So glad you said that. Yeah, I find that a lot. I, I have clients who ask me all the time, like, "Hey, what's the best time of day to work out?" It's like, "Well, are you trying to get out of the workout?" Like, what's the best time for you to work out? Like yeah. if the best time, if, if you hate the morning and you're busy in the morning, obviously it's the evening. Like yeah. if I tell you it's the morning, are you now going to skip the workout? Like it's, there is no best time to work out whenever you can yeah. get there. Exactly. This has been super helpful. Great information, guys. Uh, tell my audience where they can find more about you individually, more, more about balanced bodies, anywhere you want to direct them to. So yeah, we, um, we have a website. It's, balancebodies.io. Um, so you could go there, you could check that out. We got a bunch of transformations on there, some testimonials, all that stuff. Um, our Instagram is, is our main form of content. So that's Vinny Russo underscored balance bodies. And that's Dr. Aaron underscored balance bodies. Um, we also have a podcast um, and it's called the balance bodies blueprint. It's on, you know, Spotify, Apple podcast, YouTube. So you can find that stuff there. Uh, but we're always looking to answer questions. Um, uh, Steve, I, I know that you have a, a really good following and people really enjoy the content that you put out because it's very diverse. Like the, amount of, like the amount of guests that you have on and what they all bring to the table. Like you did a tax guide the other day or the other week. And I'm like, this ain't even about fitness, but it is because then you have fitness professionals that can utilize the tax guide, right? So yeah. I think what you're doing is great, man. Um, but if anybody has questions in particular and you, know, you just want to pick Dr. Aaron's brain or my brain, feel free just to reach out um, via social media is probably going to be the best way to do it. My guest today has been Vinny and Dr. Erin of Balanced Bodies. Thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Steve. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.